Other than that, are you all good? Amazing worship, God speaking, God prophetically working, and uh, this is what we are. Friends, we are, we are not here to play church. We're not here to, to kind of go through the motions of coming to church on a Sunday singing some songs. Man, we come together because we want to encounter God together. And we want to partner with each other in that endeavor. Because actually, remember, it's a growth and, and God, it's, it's kind of a community thing. So to, to find the love and the, de- the, the depth and the width and the heart and the breadth of the love of God, it says in Ephesians, comes together as we together do this. And so we, every time we meet, friends, whether it's in a prayer meeting, a home group, a small group, an R group, no matter what we do together, whenever we, whenever we together, we expect the presence of God to be there. You with your, at your coffee table at work, expect the presence of God to be there. And it's no different on a Sunday. And this is, the Sunday moment is where we all, it's our safe place. It's our place where we can come together. We can worship Him. We can be taught from the Word of God, be encouraged, and get back out there again to, to engage with what God's doing with you in your workplace and wherever you are. It's a very, very important moment, these, these, these Sunday gatherings as we do that. But if you can, if you can turn in your Bible, uh, bef- just start turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, there's been a number of, I want to just talk about fasting, just put for some of you that have never fasted before or don't understand why we do this. I just, there's a number of points that I've got here that I'd love us to just go through so we can biblically see actually this fasting is is part of the way Christians were living their lives and Jesus lived his life and the apostles lived their lives. And then also, there's been a, there's just the, the unblocking of wells came through this last weekend with Rory. Wasn't it a phenomenal, phenomenal time? Where God, is, God comes in with Steve Sudworth two weeks before that and speaks about the faithfulness of God and then speaks about the holiness of God. Rory comes in and talks about unity and then he has a, a one line that says, after this, after this, are we expecting after this? Are we living after this? Like there's this expectation for this week as we fast together that actually God is going to profoundly move. And we've got we've to trust God for these things and actually step into faith and activate that and believe in that and step, but actually do something. Get out there. Get with God and see what he's going to say. But what I want to do is, is he spoke about unblocking wells. So part of the, your prep for this, this fast would be to go to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26, there was famine in the land. The people of God were told, don't go to Egypt to avoid the famine. Stay in the land that you are because I'm going to bless you. Who feels like there's a famine in South Africa? Yeah. God says, don't, don't rush off somewhere else. Stay in the land, I will bless you. And it says this, it says, in the midst of barrenness, they planted seed, and they reaped a hundredfold. And then it starts talking about how God starts to prosper them, and the Philistines, which comes in and kind of fills in their wells, and, and they end up having to move away, and they end up moving to the next place, because they're fighting all the time, and they move, and they end up digging new wells. And part of what God is saying is that the wells that we used in the last season are not the wells that are going to be needed for the next season. We're going to have to dig some new wells. 
And there's a, whole, there's a whole text there. Go and read it, Genesis chapter 26. And allow God to speak to you for you and for us and prepare yourself as we fast together. Another text that has been, that has been highlighted to me is this 1 Samuel chapter 7, which we'll get into this morning um, and just have a look at quickly, just as we begin to prepare to fast together. So it's, imp- it's imperative that we together are prepare- preparing, together we're expecting, together we're, we're praying, together we're doing this together. That's the key. That's the key. God in our togetherness is, is absolutely profoundly powerful. But um, so why do we fast? <clears throat> well, the first thing is this, is when you look at the life of Jesus, he, help, he, he upheld the discipline of fasting and anticipated that we as followers would do it. How do we know this? Well, you see, number one, Jesus himself fasted. Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of, the Holy, full of the Holy Spirit, goes into the desert, it says, and for 40 days he fasts, and he comes out of the desert full of power. He goes in full of the Holy Spirit, and he comes out full of the power of God. And so we can expect, as we look at Jesus' life, Jesus fasted, and so we can expect, we're full of the Holy Spirit, but man, when we come together with God and God does and speaks to us, actually we can be filled with the power of the Spirit as well. And then it goes on and it says, and the good news about Him spread everywhere. The power of God in our lives means the name of Jesus gets spread everywhere. And that's part of, part of what happens when we fast. Number two, Number one, Jesus himself fasted. Number two, Jesus gives instructions on the proper exercise of fasting, which was a common day practice in their, in their culture. Every Thursday, every day, once a week, you would, you would fast. If you were a Jew, you fasted. And so he says to them, he says, and when you fast, don't go around making a big deal because you're so, so religious. Actually, what you must do, and don't go look around like very sad and it's been so tough, you know, I'm fasting. No, 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 put oil on your face, put oil on your beard, Gary, and let, uh, let, the, let the light of God shine through you because actually what you're doing, you might not be eating food, but you're eating of heaven, which actually is profoundly more nourishing for us than food in, in some respects. And so there should be a glow in our face. And so Jesus says, be careful how you, he gives us instruction of how to fast, which means he expects us to continue fasting. Thirdly, Jesus said there would be a time when fasting would be appropriate. This is the, the question that it gets asked in Matthew chapter 9. When his disciples are questioned about why don't they fast? John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees are fasting. Why do Jesus' disciples not fast? And Jesus goes to them. He says to them, well, you, there's no point fasting when the bridegroom is with you. There will come a day when the bridegroom is not there, then you will fast. And so there's this, this expectation of Jesus that actually there was a moment then you didn't have to because Jesus was with him. Jesus is still with us in spirit. His person is, sits at the right hand of the Father, but we now, we now are able to fast in this place and actually find him in a deep and profound way. And number four, the apostles practiced it. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 to 3. It was in worship and fasting that the people were said, that Paul was sent, Barnabas was set apart for apostolic ministry. 
Friends, when we pray and fast, and particularly when we have these intentional moments, listen, we should have a lifestyle of praying and fasting. But when we come together intentionally, corporately, we can expect God to set people apart for ministry and for things and for opportunities. God is going to speak, friends. You're going to expect God to speak to you in these moments. And it was in one of these moments when the church was praying and fasting together that the Holy Spirit set Paul and Barnabas apart for their apostolic ministry. And so the Apostle Paul starts his journeys. The apostles practiced it. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, when, when Paul and Barnabas were going to appoint elders, leaders in the life of the church, it says they prayed and they fasted. So big, big important moments for the apostles came with prayer and fasting. And there's many more texts around, the, around this idea of fasting, but just a few, just so that we understand this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus expected us to continue doing, and this is what the apostles did after Jesus. And so this is our model. Part of what we do is we actually put aside food for a moment for some time, and we say, God, will you feed us with your presence? Will you feed us with your word? Will you feed us with your voice? Will you speak to us? Will you sustain us? Because actually, that is, that is more nourishing than what physical food can be. And this is why we do it. So what is the purpose of fasting? Number one, fasting reminds us that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is in the desert. When we fast, we remember that actually we don't live by bread alone, by physical food alone, but actually the thing that sustains us more, if not, if not more, is the Word of God. And so this fasting moment is a moment where we understand that food is not what ultimately sustains us. It's God who does. So in many ways, fasting is feasting on His presence. We take those moments where we should be eating and we pray. We take those moments that we, that we should be eating and we remind ourselves, God, I'm hungry now. Will you come and satisfy me? This, is part of the, the, these, this discipline has been part of the, the lifestyle of the early church right through church history to today. And actually it's very much part of what it means to be a believer, this discipline of fasting. Number two, fasting is an act of humility. It's an act of humility. It's an act where you realize, God, I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm, depending, I'm putting it all on you and depending on you, trusting you. Fasting is an act of humility. So actually, fasting is a moment where we deal with the pride in our hearts. And God will deal with the pride in our hearts. Expect God to deal with us in our character's in our dispositions, in our, in our attitudes, God's going to deal with us. When we set aside time for Him in prayer, not just when we gather together, but throughout the day, remembering actually this is God. God, please, will you come? God comes by dealing with our attitudes. And we get on our knees before Him and say, God, I want more of you. We need more of you. Purpose of fasting. One, Fasting reminds us we don't live by bread alone, but by every word. Number two, fasting is an act of humility. Number three, fasting heightens our spiritual awareness. It opens our spiritual ears. Luke chapter four, again, Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days fasting. 
creates, creates an awareness, a greater awareness. When this world is so material and so demanding of our, of our senses, of our five senses, and food is so much part of that, actually what we do by putting that aside is we say, God, I want to be spiritually aware. I want to be aware of your voice. That's why those, uh, the, the, the early believers used to do this every week for a day. They wanted to regularly be aware of actually God's, what God's saying. Expect God to speak to you. Expect God to do some, some commi commission you. Expect God to do something significant with you as you become spiritually aware of what he's saying. You see Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter 2. It says that she is an old lady who was married, her husband died, and for 84 years she stood at the temple waiting for the Messiah to come. And it says that she was praying and fasting continually. And guess what? Joseph and Mary come with Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to God. And she recognizes Jesus instantly and says, this is the one. You, you see, what happens is, friends, we, we've got to make these disciplines, these disciplines, are, these, these mechanisms of grace, these disciplines are given to us so that we can become aware of when Jesus walks into the room, even if it was baby Jesus. So are we aware that Jesus is with us? Are we aware where Jesus is? Actually, Anna, by praying and fasting, she developed this awareness, this acute awareness that when baby Jesus came in at eight days old, she knew this was the Messiah. Expect God to speak to you. Expect God to reveal himself to you. Expect God to speak to you. Heightens our spiritual awareness. I wonder if the church in Antioch would have set aside Paul and Barnabas if they hadn't been praying and fasting. But they become aware. You become aware of what God's saying. You become aware of what God's doing amongst us. And then they've set them apart. So fasting heightens our spiritual awareness. Number four, purpose of fasting. Fasting helps us in moments where we need spiritual breakthrough. When you need spiritual breakthrough, those are the moments when you get before God. When you need breakthrough in any form, not just spiritual, any form, and you get before God and you say, God, I don't live by bread alone. I live by your word. I need breakthrough now. And you get before God and you set time aside and you discipline your body and you bring your flesh under control and actually say it's not about food, it's about him. And you see what God does. Fasting brings us into moments of spiritual breakthrough. Expect there to be breakthrough as we fast this week. Expect God to release something. Expect God... To that, that job interview or that expect it to come now in these next two or three days as we fast together. Expect God to break through in these moments. These are, these, these are some of the things that happen when we fast. Number five, the last one, fasting, and this is quite a key one, fasting is our bodily response to spiritual desire. Right through history, right through the Bible, when there's a deep desire for God, 
or a deep need for God, the people of God fast. What we've done in Western understanding is we've separated the body and the spiritual life. And we can do, as long as we're spiritually okay, it doesn't matter what we do with our body. It's a form of Gnosticism. That's the, the technical word. But actually, God sees us as an integrated whole. And when there's spiritual desire, our bodily response. So when there's spiritual desire, our will kicks in and says, God, we need you. And our bodily response is to stop eating. And we see this right through Scripture. When there are desperate moments, when there's grievous moments, when there's death, when there's disaster, when there's this deep sense of longing for more, right through the Scriptures, what happens is the natural response for the people of God is to start fasting. Friends, God wants to do something very, very significant this week. And I'm not just saying that because I know He wants to do something significant all the time, and, but I really feel God wants to do something significant this week. When you see the lead-up of what God's brought us into this year, right through this year, to this point, I feel like God wants to release, unblock the wells and bring the waves, I think uh, Anne said. Unblock the wells and release the waves. And this is going to be a moment where God unblocks wells and releases waves and continues to do that. Fasting is not twisting God's arm. Fasting is not like, well, I'm super spiritual God, so now you have to. Fasting is our response to His goodness. We don't twist God's arms. Fasting is not some super spiritual performance mentality for the super elite. Only those guys do it. No, this is actually just our bodily response. It's our response to the king. And we're saying, God, actually, we want more of you. And we put these things aside and we put time aside for you. It's not like God all of a sudden becomes totally more attentive to your prayer when you're fasting than when you're not. Fasting has got to do with us, friends, not God. It's our hearts that get moved. It's our, it's, it positions us for him. It's not, it's not, doesn't necessarily move him. It actually positions the people of God to hear what he's saying because the desires and the gifts of God are always there available to us. He's a good God. But what happens is we, get, we position ourselves in the wrong place. We posture ourselves with the wrong posture. But what fasting is, it puts us back into that again and we begin to hear, see what he's doing again. It builds our faith. Just practically, if there's a medical reason why you should not fast, then get medical advice. Like if you're pregnant or you're on medication, Drew said to me today, this week, he feels like he's getting sick and he's coming onto medication this week, so he might not be able to fast. <laughs> Just so you know, that's a load of hogwash. If you see him not fasting, <laughs> got you, buddy, got you covered. And if you can't participate fully, participate in some way. Participate in some way. Give up something. Teaching our kids, give up something over this time. Just participate. Be part of the community as we do this together. There's an incredible power released when we come together in unity, as Rory spoke about, and do these things together. So that's why we fast. That's the purpose of fasting. Let me leave you this morning with one of the things I feel like God is wanting to do with us as we fast. 1 Samuel chapter 7. And there, friends, you know, we, we can plan for these three days.
just so you know, we can plan and we can think God does this. But in the moment, God does what he wants to do. So we've got plans. We're thinking Genesis 26. I'm thinking, this morning I was thinking 1 Samuel 7. Actually, but actually God can speak and God can break in. It's the first time I've heard Anne say waves and wells. That's going to be waves and wells. It's going to be a, a phrase we're going to have as we fast. Waves and wells, Lord God. See what I'm saying? God's the bus. The bus. Uh, uh, exactly this once, once uh, Samuel chapter 7 is the bus analogy of Christian this morning. There's a number of responses that you can have for the bus. When it's cold and damp and it's an hour late, or hour late according to your schedule, you can think, well, the bus company are a bunch of idiots. I'm losing hope in them. Who is God anyway? He said he would and now he doesn't. Pitch. We can allow our discomfort to take us away from waiting for what God wants to do. There's different responses that we can have. Or you can take it into your own hands and leave the bus and take a cab. In those moments, there's, there's always those moments. What do you do? How do you do this? God says, Jesus says, the apostles say, faith and patience inherit the promises of God. So you see, this, this, it's, it's this moment of, is God going to pitch? And then you, an hour later, because he doesn't really run according to our times table, and, and we often say, uh, uh, this has been my saying now, somebody said it, <laughs> I think this year, we often think God is the God of the 11th hour. Actually, God is the God of five minutes past 12. When you think it's dead and buried, okay, that's it. And the next thing, four buses pitch. So when God does it, he does it quickly, but we've got to have faith and patience. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, let's just quickly go there and I'll just... The story, for those that don't know the story, just to contextualize it, the Israelites have the ark, which is a symbol of the presence of God. They go into battle, they get presumptuous, they use the ark which some, we do this as well, if we're honest with ourselves, they use an ark as like a centerpiece. So if the ark is there, we will win. They forget that actually this is about relationship with God, not about this thing. They go into battle, be presumptuous, the ark gets captured by the Philistines. You see it in, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, 6, before you get to 7. And then what happens is the Philistines... The same Philistines that were blocking the wells, by the way, in Genesis chapter 26. The Philistines go and they take their, their conquest, and what you would do in those days in a, in a very spiritual, a religious environment that they lived in, is that you would then take the representation of your enemy's God and put it in your temple. Because now you, that's the sign of victory. Our God is stronger than yours. And guess what happens their God, Dagon, they put the, they put the ark in the this presence of God in the temple. The next day they come there and Dagon's lying on the floor. And they're realizing, whoa. Uh, but it might have just been of dust, the wind or something that blew it over. So they, they put them back up again. The next day they come in, Dagon's lying on the floor with his head off and his hands off. You see, God is the God of ultimate authority and ultimate ability. 
And so what happens is they, they get scared. And the Bible starts, talks about tumors, and it talks about rats, and they, they, they start to panic. Death comes into the place. The presence of God there is bringing death. They eventually start saying, hang on, this, what do we got to do? We got to get rid of this thing as fast as we can, as quickly as we can. And so they make plans to shift it out. And obviously, it's a very humilifying, it's a, uh, what's the word, humilifying, is that the word? What's the word? Humiliating. It's a very humiliating thing to admit that your God is actually a lesser God than your enemy's God. And so they ask the question, so this was one of the practices of the people of the day. They want to know from the God, they want to know from the God that actually they, they, they're kind of setting back, that it actually really was him, that it wasn't just a coincidence. Commentators talk about they want to know the oracle of the God. The oracle for them was this. They said, right, if this is God, it would be either be like a yes or a God, are you the one? Yes. Okay, get rid of this thing. What they do is they say, right, if this is God, we're going to get a new cart. We're going to get two carving cows. My brother's got a farm, and you separate a cow from, a calf from her, her mom, you've got trouble coming. And they say, today, and then they say actually, what we're going to do is we're going to put the ark on the back of this cart. We're going to get these two cows, and we're going to send them away. If they go and leave their calves behind, we know it's God. Get that thing out of here. If they don't, and they turn around and come back, we know that actually we're just being silly. Even though Dagon was kind of lying on the floor without a head. Anyway, they put it on. The calves, the, 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 cat, the cows go away lowing in pain for their, for their young ones that are left behind, and they leave, and they realize, oh, thank God for that. That thing's gone. It was God. Eventually they go, and Israel gets the ark back. And there's great, re there's great rejoicing, and uh, there's a whole story there. Look at, have a look at chapter 7. So the men of kirith Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadab's Ab house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to be the god of the ark. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in Kerith Jerem. 20 years, friends. So God does this radical thing. The people are mourning because the, the presence of God is not there. God does this radical thing and brings the ark back. Actually, God gets his presence back to his people. And for 20 years, it sits in this guy's house. It sits in this, 20 years, sits in this guy's house. And all the people of Israel, it says mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, suddenly they realized there's again this, this God moves in, in, in these kind of waves and moments and kind of turns around and now they're hungry for God, but they've forgotten for 20 years it's been sitting in his house. Friends, we are like that. We take God for granted in our house. And we let, this, let our hearts drift away from this God who came to us supernaturally with cows lowing as they're walking towards us away from their calves. And Samuel says to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of all foreign gods and the Ashtoreths 
and commit yourself to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Radical thing. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel in Mizpah, and I will intercede for the Lord with, for you. When he had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out over the Lord. It's like the Lord is speaking to us about pouring stuff out, whether it be wine, oil, or water. Last week, wine and water. Wine and oil. Amazing, no patches. Oil just disappeared. Wine just disappeared through the carpet into the whatever. Friends, God wants to pour out His Spirit. Not, not, with, not sprinkle it on. A poured out like it's wasteful poured out. Do we believe in a God that is that generous and that sufficient? God doesn't want to just sprinkle us. He wants to pour it out lavishly. I think it was last e Sunday evening when Rory was standing there with a, with a bottle of wine pouring over Christian's head saying there's a new wine coming. And then he smashes the bottle against here. Smashed the bottle. A full bottle of wine, smashed. And says God's going to change the wineskin. But halfway through him pouring it out, you're thinking, oh, that's enough now. Okay, we got the point. It's like, oh, it's going everywhere and it's filling. That's the point. When God starts pouring, friends, we don't say, God, that's enough. We say, God, we want more. And God wants to pour it out. God wants to pour out his spirit over us. On that day, they fasted, and that's where they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. I feel like God is wanting to take hold of our hearts, friends. To such a degree that when we look at our hearts, we actually, it feels like we were worshiping a foreign God compared to what it was now. And even though we weren't. It's like, I feel like God so wants to get hold of our hearts. That He wants to take hold of us and He wants to do something significant with us. He wants, to, he wants a community of people that are so hungry for Him, that are so compelled by His love, that are so just given over to Him, that it touches every part of our hearts and our lives, friends. That renewal will begin to be poured out and renewal will, will, will turn into revival in time to come. But friends, it starts with a hungry group of people. It starts with a group of people that are physically hungry saying, God, I want more of you. And this is an opportunity this week for that. Let's trust God. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. I'm not going to go there now. God wants our hearts, friends. That's this week, trust. I'm saying, God, I've got, I know I've got all of you, but I'm not sure that you've got all of me. I've still got pride in my heart. I've still got unbelief in my heart. I still don't trust you fully. Father, please, I want more. I want I I a restfulness in you in the midst of whatever's happening. That is profound. I want it to be a display of your splendor. Through every part of my life, my family, my work, my ministry, my whatever God does. God wants to get hold of our hearts this weekend, friends. This week. He is going to do something deep in our hearts. Let's trust Him for Him and expect Him to do profound things this week. Amen. Amen.